Hi, I'm Seema, a recovering anorexic bulimic compulsive overeater. Hi, Seema. And thinking of one of the Toms who used to be, who's often used to come to this meeting, and he would come in and say, hi, family. And I have to admit, I used to think that was so hokey, right? Hi, family. And I don't anymore because I know exactly what he was feeling and what he was talking about. And at that time, I wasn't able to feel it. Now I can. So, um, oops. A few months ago, I have a I go to a religious practice, a spiritual practice, um, in addition to this one, and we were going around the room saying what we wanted from our practice, what we were hoping for from from our practice, and one of the women said, "I want to know who I am before I die," and it was like an arrow. Wow. Um, it really hit me where I am, which is right here in the present. Um, and it occurred to me that all of the years that I've been in OA and all of the years before that when I was always looking for some way to relieve the pain and the suffering, that that's really a lot of what I was looking for. Um, I'm not the only one, I think, in this family who, in this family, <laughs> in this family who as, as one of their hopes, but I certainly grew up in a family where I wasn't supposed to know who I was. I was supposed to know what everybody wanted and be that. And I also wasn't to be aware that I was supposed to be doing that, so I thought who I was was who I was acting as if. Um, it's the reason I don't like the acting as if stuff that goes, you know, that they talk about in this program and some others, but I acted as if my whole life. And I binged and purged and starved myself from age 18 until, I don't even know how many years ago, about 12 years ago. I would binge and purge 15 times a day, 16 times a day, hours, 15 to 16 hours a day. I would not eat or eat very, very little for days and days and days and days until I got really skinny and kind of so dizzy that if I walked, I couldn't feel my legs from my knees down. And then there were times when I just overate without throwing up and felt absolutely horrible. And I was miserable all the time. Even when I thought I was happy, I was miserable all the time. And I was suffering a lot and in a lot of pain. Um, and then I found a way in 1974, which was much probably right after it was started by Roseanne, and I didn't like the meeting and I left. Um, they gave me a gray sheet and I went, oh boy, a food plan, right? And I left and I started the next morning, food plan, far out, and I made it until after breakfast. <laughs> so it clearly wasn't going to work for me. I came back to OA several times since then. And the last time was to stay in 1992 or three, when I was really basically trying to kill myself with anorexia and bulimia. I didn't know that's what I was trying to do, but I couldn't stand being alive. I wasn't brave enough or out of touch enough to kill myself, and so I didn't know what else to do. Um, and I was afraid to be somebody who lived without my drug. Um, because I'd never been a normal person. I'd never been a really comfortable person on the planet. I sort of like my 
my version of get of what life was like was I think I got off on the wrong floor, and I always felt that way. And I can say today I do not feel that way anymore. That's a miracle. I do not feel like I'm on the wrong floor, especially if I'm in an OA meeting. <laughs> there are times when it out there it's like oh my god, oh my god, I come in here and. So when I got to the program for the last time and stayed, um, my food plan was no throwing up no matter what. Now, that's not so easy for a bulimic. It's really not because the part that, I don't know about other bulimics, but the part that I thought of that was really, oh, that's crappy, was the binging. The throwing up didn't bother me. I thought that was the only way to manage the binging. So not throwing up was really scary. Um, and there were many times I wanted to quit. Uh, many, many times. And I didn't. I really heard the keep coming back no matter what. And the reason I heard that was because there was no place else for me to go. Absolutely no place else for me to go. And if I couldn't make it here, I was going to be miserable my whole life because I knew I was afraid to kill myself. And I can tell you, over the years, I've been in OA since 1978 in San Francisco with a one or two, six or eight month breaks when I thought, I hate this place, got to get out of here. Um, didn't last long, didn't take me long to realize I don't have any place to go. I'd scream at myself in the mirror without making any noise because I didn't know what to do. And I was in a lot of pain. So, and, and I've stayed in the program, and I've been one of those, you know, when they say forever, you know, some, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, I'm definitely one of the sometimes slowly people. And if that can give anybody hope who thinks that they're not going fast enough, I hope it helps. It took me a long time to get what this program was about, um, which was mainly, first of all, knowing who I am, learning who I am before I die, Hopefully I won't die for a long time. And two, learning that there were people in the world that I could connect with and I didn't have to be alone all the time. And the food had been keeping me away from that for my whole life. I was terrified to be who I was. First of all, because I didn't know. I don't think I knew that I knew. And when I stopped, whenever I stopped eating, scary things would come up like sexual abuse memories and embarrassing things I did um, in relationships with people and things I'd said deliberately to hurt people and sexual abuse again and all sorts of things. And I thought I had a really terrible character and I thought the sexual abuse was really scary. And so it was easier to stay with the food until it wasn't. And, um, and it hasn't been. And I think I've, I stay abstinent in chunks. I went through four and a half years abstinent had a week of binging and throwing up. Went through four and a half more years, a day of throwing up, and then I went through four and a half more years and had one night of throwing up, and now it's been two years. But that's a lot of days not throwing up with a few days in between of doing it. That's a miracle. That is really a miracle because bulimia does kill. It can really do damage to your organs, to your teeth, to your electrolytes, and it really could have done me in. So, where am I today? Um, many of you have heard where I am today. My dog died five weeks ago. And 
I found out I had to move the same week <laughs> um, because there's water damage in my walls and the landlord has told me I have to move out for three months and they're going to pay for it and I had to find the place but still you know moving involuntarily is not fun um, I have to say that in the way that that happened the moving is much easier than the breathing for Josie it almost makes like the actually Josie died after I found out I was going to have to move and the moving I've just taken care of it I've gone and found a place I have contacted all the people I have to contact to change my social security being sent to a new place and all that stuff and sometimes I ask myself what would I be doing if I were in the food and we all know what being in the food is like right I mean like non-functional or barely functional I don't know if I could have gotten through this in the food I would have been binging my brains out throwing up and using up all my savings and probably my retirement account and we all know how awful it is to be in the food and not be able to stop. That hasn't happened for me. Um, I think that losing Josie's been one of the hardest things I've lived through in a long time, and certainly the hardest thing in recovery, in as being abstinent. And so I've upped my meetings. I am somebody who used to hate making phone calls, three phone calls a day. Are you out of your mind? Um, and I refuse to get a cell phone because I want to use my landline and I'm a Luddite and I don't really think that we should all be going so electronic. I got a cell phone last October and guess what? Texting is miraculous. <laughs> I can text people without having to talk to them. <laughs> I can text people and say, hi, I want to talk to you and I haven't been able to get hold of you. Text me back or call me. Um, so I consider texting like a phone call but just not quite as connected. And I text all day long. I mean, not all day long, not like the people who walk into other people on the street or cross the street and get hit, almost get hit by cars, but I text a lot, and um, the cell phone has actually made me a little bit humble, um, because I realized I have to be like other people sometimes, shit, you know, but it's really changed my ability to connect in the program, um, five more minutes. So since Josie died, I have been texting people every day. I've had a few people who've texted me every day just to say, hi, how are you? Um, I can't tell you how much that means to me. Um, because I had a family where that didn't happen. You know, and family was a long time ago. And I used to think, get over it, Stephen. Get over your family. And then I got here and realized none of us get over our families really in the way we think we should until we do. Um, and I'm sure I'm still not over mine and I'm almost 70. But I have a family here. And it has made such an incredible difference. So I go to more meetings. Um, I don't have a sponsor right now. She moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, not California. And the time change is too difficult. So I'm not really doing the steps with anybody. And I've just had to turn that one over and say, okay, I can practice the program without a sponsor today because I'm committed to being well because I needed to get to get through and deal with this grief that I have. Um, I never grieved any by any of the deaths in my family like this. This is what Josie was my family. I mean, most of you all knew her. Um, and I finally got to have the experience that most humans have of grieving the loss of a loved one 
that I had been too busy eating and throwing up and all that. I had been avoiding every feeling you could think of by doing that. And lo and behold, this time, I wasn't using food and I had to feel it. So now I get to feel it. Um, so while I wish that Josie hadn't died, I have to say that it's a gift that I had her and it's a gift that I had her while I was getting well in OA. Um, how much? I probably have about two minutes. Okay, I guess I should talk about God, right? I never talk about God. I don't believe in God. Um, I really don't. I'm not sure what I believe in. Um, I believe in process. I believe in connection. Um, I believe in dogs. I think dogs are sometimes my higher power. Sort of. Not really. They're not very good at it. Um, but they're good at being, they're good at what they do, but, you know, anyway. And um, connection with people. Connection, anything that connects me to my feelings and my spirit is a power greater than myself. And I've noticed the last few weeks, I found some music online through YouTube that I can play at work when I'm getting really frazzled because I'm having hard feelings or something. And I, there are a few pieces of music that when I hear them, I start to cry. And they are so beautiful that it's like, if I died right now listening to this music, I would be okay. And that feeling is a connection with the higher power. That's, and I've always been able to connect with music that way. And I think it saved me a lot. It saved me, it saved me because it kept, helped me keep my heart open, even just a few molecules worth so that when it was time for me to open my heart big time, I was I could do it. Um, and a friend once told me that there's no, coinc no coincidence that God spelled backward his dog. Because I do have to say, again, I'll bring dogs into this, that Josie and my dog Alberta before that were the two dogs that I had where my heart broke. It was the first time I actually experienced a broken heart and an open heart. Not when they died, but just from their own, their situations, because they were rescue dogs and they had been in horrible situations. And my heart broke for them. And now I know I have one. And my heart can break for me. And it can break for people in this program. And if I hadn't had this program, none of it, none of that would be true. I would not know who I was. I would not have be able to connect with people. I would be pretending. Um, I would have used up all my retirement account by now, um, and probably be homeless as an old person. Not fun. And um, I'm not afraid of feelings. I feel pretty good about who I am today. I'm like, I can't believe I say I'm saying that, but I think I'm getting to know myself before I die, and I think I'm a pretty good person. And sometimes I'm just blown away and feeling really horrible about things that trigger old feelings like I'm not good enough, nobody wants to hang out with me, why does everybody else have friends and I don't? But that, those are leaving. And was that the, was that the last part? Okay. Okay, so um, I have no doubts that this program has been a lifesaver for me and I resisted that for the whole time I was in the program until this year. That's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty stubborn.
but by the time I let go of the fighting against it, I was really ready to let the program come in. And that's what we do for each other. So thank you.